Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. This message is for all those that are seeking for ultimate destiny, purpose, and meaning in their lives, which is only found in the ultimate source of reality. And the ultimate source of reality is an ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, which is the very source of love, which is who the one true eternal God is. For those of you that are new, I want to make you aware of my website at ultimatemeaning.com. Ultimatemeaning.com. There, there's a flip book where you can find out for yourself all that I'm sharing about here. It has very original writing and thought by the gifting of spirit of the Spirit of God through me to you. And there is a lot of video on that flip book. That's all the print that's highlighted in red. There are links to those very profound and amazing YouTube videos that show from many fields of science the reality and the truth of what I am sharing here that highly confirm this that I am sharing about and expose all the lies that have been propagated to the public that the vast majority of the public believe. The evidence there is irrefutable. You'll find these vi videos very amazing to watch. I'm not going to go into much more than that. There, I also have a video on that website a little further down that's the large one that stretches the whole length of the paragraph. And that video explains who the one true eternal God is. But this message is for those that have come to know the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal. And I refer to him by the name in the Old Testament, in the English, it's the word Lord God, but in the original Hebrew, it is the word Lord, which is usually the word for Yehovah, or some pronounce it, I should say Yehovah, but the most accurate pronunciation is Yahweh. And then the second word, the word for God, is the Almighty. Literally, that's what it means. It's the word Elohim in Hebrew. It literally means Almighty referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, if God could not rule and personage in the three ultimate aspects of existence, he would not be Almighty God. The three ultimate aspects of existence are beyond creation, in creation, and in omnipresence, filling all creation as the Father, beyond the time and space realm, beyond creation, seeing the end from the beginning, as the Son, the full expression of the Father, into the creation realm, to experience the creation realm, and on a limited creature level, communicate with the creation realm, and of course the Holy Spirit in omnipresence, filling all things. And of course, in the Father is the Son and the Holy Spirit, and in the Son is the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and in the Holy Spirit is the Father and the Son in omnipresence. But it is in three personages. In order, and if you were not in 
conscious intelligence or personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence, obviously you wouldn't be able to rule in or over it. And of course, God's love is an ultimate perfection of love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice that is known as agape love, the highest form of love, agape from the Greek language of the Bible. And that love is so pure and integrous that it will not tolerate what is contrary to that love. Because anything less than choosing the highest lasting good would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so pure that it is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption. And so I just mentioned this briefly at the beginning to describe God's love that it is completely integrous and pure and is what is the very source of ultimate beauty and of what can be totally creative and ever-expanding in creativity without corruption and ensures that there is an ultimate destiny where there is no corruption that we know as heaven. And of course, the ultimate other aspect of this love that springs from this perfection of love and its ultimate manifestation is that God has always had in his being that quality that could choose freely to always choose the highest lasting good, even to become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for such beings as us human beings here in this world. He could in other words, humble himself more than you, a mere creature. Suffer more than you, a mere creature, as he did on the cross in Jesus Christ. So that you could choose to repent of your rebellion against his love and be reconciled to God. And that's all I want to share. And only this love could be an ultimate trustworthiness worthy to contain unlimited power and life and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way. Thus indicative that he is the very source of ultimate authority, power, and life, the very one true eternal God. <clears throat> there is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater. And so for those that are new, I just briefly mentioned this at the beginning of this video, but this video is for those that have come to cry out to God from the depths of their heart and ask him to be the center treasure of their life, Jesus Christ. Because he is Yahweh as much as the Father is Yahweh, as much as the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Well, I share these messages seeking to speak as the oracles of God because the word of God commands us in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And to speak as the oracles of God is to speak prophetically. And of course, we have another scripture that says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And when we worship God out of a pure heart and spirit and in truth with great reverence and humility and love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances coming forth beyond ourselves 
out of the Spirit of God. Oh, there's arguments that can get in the way and so on, but there are those that can come into such a close relationship with God that they could be called true prophets. And as it says in the Word of God, that the Word of God is, is as silver refined seven times. And those that have been willing to go through God's refining process like Moses did and the trials he went through, 40 years trained by the Egyptians, 40 years in the wilderness going through all those trials, having his ego brought to nothing, so to speak, he comes forth as a messenger of God that God can use. And there are many other examples, of course, of the patriarchs. I will not go into that. I've got to have a little bit of water here. I'm speaking this message at a very late hour. It's 10.04 in the evening. But I just felt to do another message on what God is wanting to say. And so what I do to facilitate speaking prophetically as the oracles of God is to cast lots to get two possible chapters to perceive from those two chapters what God is saying. Because those two chapters, if they're from God, there will be a common theme or message in those two chapters. And so I seek to perceive that, meditate on it for half an hour only, and then speak, which is what I'm doing in this case, although I meditated on it a bit earlier in the day. So I want to share with you, I don't know what I'm going to share with just a half an hour meditating on them. But I know there is a very clear theme, and I want to bring that out and just trust God to speak through me out of a heart set and mindset of worship to facilitate speaking beyond myself out of the Spirit of God. So I want to, first of all, point out that I also seek to find a worship song out of the possibility of probably though I have 1,257 songs I choose from, actually there's far greater possibilities because often in God's providence he shows me another song on YouTube that's far better and so then I choose that one because I can see it is fitting. So I want to, we want to go and, and now bring that song forth and sing it and worship unto God. And the songs I choose are high quality songs with depth and meaning and beautiful instruments and they're always congregational. So you can use these if you have a YouTube con connection with your overhead projector in your church service. And these are the kinds of songs that should be in the church because most of the songs I hear nowadays are not very creative. They're kind of monotonous, repeating the same tunes over and over. There's some really good ones too that are modern, but there's a lot that aren't and don't have a lot of the creative flow obviously in the words of the Spirit of God. You just got a few vague words many times. My, I tell you. And then a lot of these people, they, they won't allow you to use them on your overhead projector unless you pay them so much every year. Do you think God's pleased with that? I don't know. I don't think so. So I choose these songs knowing that they're not the kind of people that would do that. So here they are. Many of them come from the underground church in China under the work of Watchmen in 1972, but they also come throughout church history from the hymn book they put together, which has a lot of other songs as well. So this one, the author is unknown, okay, for the words. The tune is from probably a familiar tune. Here we go with this song. Very beautifully done, by the way. 
very beautifully done. Whoops, I've just got to, I'll minimize myself soon here too. But here, we'll start it out here.
desert's mountain, how I yearn to see thee face to face. Drink, dear Lord, from my heart's flowing fountain, till I Introducing oh, no, the electric drill shear. Shut that one off fast. Pretty darn fast, believe me. Hallelujah. So, I want to share with you. Now, that was such, that's one of my favorite songs. Sometimes I end up singing that in my prayer time, the odd time. And it's, it's a wonderful song to just be caught up in loving God and worshiping him. Jesus, Lord, I'm captured by thy beauty. That's the beauty that comes out of the holiness of God's love. Yes, as I've been preaching, God's holiness is severe. The integrity of his love is even severe on us as his children to chastise us, that we might not be condemned with the world, that we might come forth into this beautiful relationship that's unconditional with God, where we can know the rejoicing and the joy of his presence in the midst of the greatest trials, like the apostles did when they were thrown into prison with shackles on and sung and others. Brother Young, the heavenly man who was so tortured for his faith. But you look at that man, as he, if you watch him on YouTube, I even have a link on my home page at loverealize.com where all these messages are where you can look him up and what an amazing a man that was tortured severely by the Chinese Communist Party for 10 years and yet look at the victory in his life indeed death cannot hold the resurrection life and God wants us to know this victory in our lives he wants us to know the exceeding greatness of his power to us where to believe the power that raised Christ from the dead but as Paul the Apostle said they were pressed with so many trials they did they despaired of life itself what so that they might not trust in themselves but in God that raises the dead and so God is wanting to do that work in us as a body and as individuals, that his power and his glory may come forth in fullness in these last days. So I want to share with you what I received by the casting of Lot, and there's a lot of things that have been on my heart that I've wanted to share, but 
I will only share those things if the Lord somehow leads me. I don't know how this is going to be as I begin sharing what God's given me, not only for today on Saturday, but yesterday on Friday. So I want to point out the themes in these chapters from yesterday and today. In Leviticus 3 and Daniel 1, you will find that there is a common word used, and it's the word blemish, without blemish, in both of those chapters. In Leviticus 3 and Daniel chapter 1. Now I see I've written a few notes that may have been by Mike and may not be accurately written here, but we'll, I'm going to read a bit of that. It says, to give your life to God with re without reservation. Okay, to give your life to God with reservation is to give to God what is unacceptable because it has the blemish of some measure of self-corruption. Daniel and his brethren were pure and always paid the price to be pure before God and the world system. It is when we are without blemish in our love for God that we reflect his glory that turns the nations back to God. And that is the summation of what I received by the casting of Lot from these two chapters on Friday. And so when we read Leviticus 3, 1 to 2, it's, we read, And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer it of the herd, whether it be male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. So the sacrifice, which is a foretype of Jesus Christ who was called by John the Baptist, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And yes, our sin was placed on Jesus Christ. And I was mentioning about this in the previous message, in some measure. I believe towards the latter part of the message, towards the very end of the video, about the blood of Christ and about a false teaching that somehow Christ became sin in the sense that he was no longer God on the cross. Somehow he actually, his soul became sin and so on. is really a false teaching. And I should explain it a little bit more here because to me it's, you know, we, we must acknowledge that only God receives the glory for our salvation. And that God conquered death in the flesh. That Jesus Christ conquered death in the flesh. To deny that with a teaching such as that is pretty concerning. And I want to point out, and I did point out this, it says that Atonement is through the shedding of blood. And we know these animals were shed from the beginning, from the time of Canaan 
pardon me, from the time of Abel. And even Adam and Eve were given skins to cover them after the fall because they became aware of their fallen state, of the corruption that was in them. And so God obviously would have slayed those animals as a representation of the requirement of judgment upon sin and upon corruption in our lives. Of course, the animals could not represent their soul and spirit and so could only cleanse their physical body to bring the presence of God to dwell more closely to their soul and spirit or with their soul and spirit as opposed to after Christ where the soul and spirit could be cleansed and therefore there could be not just the dwelling of the spirit of God with them but the indwelling or the imbuing or the saturation of the spirit of God in their soul and spirit. But I want to get to the point of the blood because certainly when our soul makes choices of its own free will that are in rebellion against God and no doubt affects the blood. The word of God says the life of the flesh is in the blood and that word life is soul. So the soul of our body that is in our body is held by the blood or is in the blood. And when we make choices that are contrary to God, it can affect the genetics even in the blood to next following generations so that there's certain tendencies of rebellion that stand out stronger or aspects of rebellion that stand out stronger even in the blood. And also, of course, when the blood is affected that way, it also affects the soul with a nature that is going to manifest certain tendencies of weakness in rebellion against God. And, uh, so it goes both ways. The soul makes the wrong choices. It affects the blood. In turn, the blood in previous following generations affects others and also can affect then the soul with a nature in that direction if the person continues in rebellion and doesn't repent. But how does this apply with Christ dying on the cross? Well, people quote the verse that says, He became sin for us who knew no sin, saying, Therefore his soul became sin. No. What that is saying there is let's say we believe that when that, that verse means that the sin actually entered his soul. Well, let's say you believe that. Well, even if the sin entered his soul, his soul was in such a pure union with the Father by faith in a selfless state of trust that it would have absorbed that corruption so that his soul would still be pure. So in a sense, you could say, well, okay, yeah, this... The, the, his soul became sin in the sense that it entered his soul. Okay, if you want to believe that, I wouldn't go that far myself, but if you want to believe that, you have to also believe that the soul was so pure in him that the corruption that entered his soul couldn't, was swallowed up by the purity of his soul because of a selfless state of trust without rebellion in God the Father, which he had, for he said, he didn't shake his fist in rebellion against God. He commended his soul into the hands of the Father. And so that is important to know because it is the blood that cleanses. And his blood wasn't from man. It was from when Mary was, the blood came from God the Father, from the Holy Spirit that was in 
Mary, that seed that was conceived, was by the Holy Spirit, which has obviously Yahweh in it, which is the Father. And, of course, the Son is also Yahweh, which is the perfection of the being of God, the one true eternal God who is a spirit. Because it says God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, and that's what Christ said. So what I'm pointing out here is simply this, is that the soul of Christ, the blood that was shed on the cross, was blood that was pure, that was not corrupt. And the Word of God points out, of course, I want to point out a verse here, I think it's at the um, beginning here. Oh no, not this one, the other one. I got two here, one sec, I'll just show the other one here. It says in Joel 3, 20 to 21, but Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. So this is when the Lord has returned. He is going to cleanse their blood that he has not cleansed. Why? Because from Adam, the blood is defiled, and also from the sins of previous generations with dispositions that are at rebellion or tendencies that are at rebellion against God. And so that blood can influence the soul. And so God cleanses the blood so that there's not even the influence of that tendency that can be influenced upon the soul. Now, that is all to point out that God and I, I'm not going to share all I shared last time here because I will be sidetracked from the, what the message is to be here today. But I just felt like I should point that out. So when Christ commended himself into the hands of the Father, he chose to go to the spirits from the pre-flood world and so on and preach to them and release them from their prison house. He always was God. He was victorious there. And I could go on and share a lot more here on the word begotten and what that means and how that's understood in various passages. It basically is something else I um, do point out here, but I just don't want to get too sidetracked into that right now because it would be uh, involving a lot of time to explain all of this, but I will point out that the word begotten basically means if you compare it with John, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, um, and you look at Proverbs 8 and so on, on him being described as being with the Father from everlasting, it is very evident that Christ is the source of all creation. It says that in Colossians, and that he was always with the Father. He is the expression of the Father in creativity, so that's using the word beginning there, but it then mentions everlasting, the infinite past, basically. That's how I like to describe it, but I don't want to get into this here. I want to get into the message, so I'm going to leave off that. Here you have the importance of an offering that is without blemish, and I happen by coincidence to see through a video that I just stumbled across that in Israel, they're getting ready to offer these heifers 
in order to restore the temple, that they finally found heifers that are without blemish. And so they're getting ready to offer their first animal sacrifices. Even before they build the temple, they're going to be doing it where the tabernacle of David was, I think, in Shiloh there. That's where they're going to be doing the animal sacrifices in the near future. But they have been seeking for this. And so God is speaking a message to the body of Christ here that is far more than just what I am sharing. And so I point out the other scripture I received, which was Daniel 1. And many of us are familiar with this passage. Daniel, purpose, and we can read, and it uses the word blemish in this chapter. Uh, if I read the whole thing, I'd find it. I suppose it's okay to do that. So children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful. And all, so the king chose children in whom was no blemish. King Nebuchadnezzar. But were well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge, and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof, don't know where that's coming from, that the end thereof, they might stand before the king now among these were of the children of Judah. What I'm going to do is just put this on pause for a moment, one sec. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar and Mishael, Mesach and Azar. Raya of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So he had a determination not to compromise. And of course we know they paid the price, even to the point of being thrown into the fiery furnace. They refused to in any way compromise with the world system that they were in. And God is calling the body of Christ in this hour to rise up and come out of conformity to the world. We know the word of God says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is holy and acceptable unto God and so on. And he is calling us as his people in this hour to be those that are without reservation in our commitment to God to pay, knowing that he will give us the grace to pay whatever price he is calling us to pay for his namesake in offering our lives as a living sacrifice unto him, which, according to Romans 12, at the beginning, there is our reasonable service. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Being willing to lay down our lives every day, even if we are tortured cruelly to death. 
That's basically what it means to take up our cross daily and follow him. That we are willing to go through anything, even unto death, out of our love for God. Why should we fear that? The only thing that causes fear is our lack of knowing God. And God's intention and desire is that we would come into such a relationship with him as it's been described in the song we sung, a love relationship with God that is triumphant. And that was his desire for the children of Israel. But of course, as we know, he has created us not as robots, but with our own free will. In other words, we are the source of our own action and therefore self-responsible because God is love and love creates what has the capacity to love because any other kind of life is really not life. In fact, it's not pleasure or anything else. It's totally empty. How can you enjoy a robot? Do you want to have a robot? No. All it is is a bunch of input from an outside source. As much as these people want to believe robots have souls these days and all these other crazy ideas they have, the experts know they don't. And I do have something that I came across many years ago in a documentary interviewing scientists on that very topic, believe it or not, which is in my book on the afterlife titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable under secondary evidence on the afterlife. In that that's in the first two chapters. So I want to go to the next two chapters I received today. And I don't know fully how these fit. I really don't. But I'm just praying that as I speak here, that God will speak by his spirit. And so I received Psalm 90. And I have picked some of the verses to read on this. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Some people get a misconception of God that he's not severe on sin. He is, even in our own lives. And yes, God can be angry. And some people think, oh no, the God in the New Testament isn't angry. Oh really? He certainly is. That's those that are in rebellion against him to the point that they are all destroyed in, in the book of Revelations as he returns with a sharp sword of light out of his mouth that destroys the Antichrist armies. And the fowls of the heavens eat their flesh, right? And Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead before the presence of God because they lied to the whole congregation and to God himself that was in their midst. When you have a congregation that's in deep love and unity with God, the power of God is such that if people come into the midst of such a congregation, knowingly in sin, there is a great likelihood that such a thing could happen to them. And these things happened in Azusa Street. When people came into those meetings that opposed them, some of them went out of the meeting and were immediately killed by some kind of a vehicle accident. I remember one I read of. But they were deliberately opposing these people. God took care of them. He wouldn't allow them to continue. 
come in and disturb the place where people were in such unity and fellowship with God. But the fact that God is severe and even angry against sin is good because it means that he is angry at what would destroy your life, would destroy what is ultimately fulfilling for you as an individual and for his people when they gather together, whatever, or in their community. And ultimately, he will destroy all the wicked so that in this world, there only remains those that are people that have come in some measure to know God during the millennial reign of Christ, such as the meek and so on, that he says will inherit the earth. Of course, Peter made it clear that all that genuinely fear God are accepted of him. Now, that doesn't mean you can only fear God if you know God as I described him in this message at the beginning and is explained in far more detail on the website I mentioned at ultimatemeaning.com. But we want to go on and read this passage here. So what he's saying here is since you are severe in corruption, may we not waste our days, our time, if we are really walking with God, how can you use your time in a way that isn't onto meaning and purpose and constructive unto the kingdom of God? doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have a time to relax for a bit and recover yourself and all of that, obviously. And so you might want to do something that you enjoy and so on. I'm not wanting in any way implied something like that would, that would be putting people in bondage. But he does want us to redeem the time. As it says, redeem the time for the days are evil. And if there's ever a time when we are entering a time of great evil, it is now. In fact, we're on the verge of possibly a worldwide collapse of the banks on top of a terrible war taking place that could result in World War III and possibly even nuclear exchange on top of all the other things that are going on, which because I'm on YouTube, I cannot mention in detail here. Because I can only put playlists, as far as I know now, from YouTube on my website. If I could do it with Rumble, I'd start doing it with Rumble. And so we go on and we read here, Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy. And we talked a lot in the last message on the mercy of God, which was from Psalm, if I remember right, it was probably Psalm 136, which talks about the mercy of God enduring forever because that's the ultimate aspect of the love of God. It is the integrity of his love, but more than that, it is the integrity of his love that has taken judgment upon himself for us. And that is the ultimate manifestation of his love, which in the New Testament is described as not just the mercy of God, but the grace of God, which is the favor of God. Well, the mercy of God certainly is implied in the New Testament to mean the same thing as the grace in the Old Testament to mean the same thing as the grace of God in the New Testament. 
And so the gospel came in grace and truth. And truth is more equivalent in the Old Testament to the word for holiness. Now, the word holiness, the real root meaning of it is purity, but implies separation as well. But the real root meaning of it in the Hebrew is purity. And so, so it is also where the understanding of separation comes because what is pure cannot be with what is impure. It must be separate from it. And God is calling us to know this love relationship with him and to know his mercy that can only come out of first totally being receptive to the holiness of God and in a great love and awe of who God is out of the holiness of God, which is the integrity of his love, because out of that comes beauty. Purity manifests forth in beauty, because there's no corruption. What mars beauty is corruption, and what is against corruption is the integrity of God's love that judges it, which is the holiness of God. That manifests forth in beauty. God is the very source of beauty. There's no one more beautiful than beholding the face of Almighty God in heaven. In fact, people in heaven, I've written on those that are genuine Christians and died, once they see the face of Christ, they get lost in his eyes that there seems to be just worlds and worlds of of pleasure and of dimensions in his eyes that they, they don't want to ever leave looking at into his eyes and into his face. And it says in, the, in Revelations in the last chapter, and his servants shall have his name in their foreheads and they shall see his face. And that is the most wonderful thing. That's why King David talks about beholding the beauty of the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, longing for God's face to shine upon us, not to be frowning upon us because of the life that is being lived that is not totally given to him and therefore has blemish in it, that that does not manifest the beauty of the glory of God. God is wanting his beauty to shine forth in in us as individuals and as a body, so that we fulfill John 17, which basically describes such a unity that would cause all people to believe, that would be open to believing, obviously, everyone has a choice, but it would result in a great harvest of multitudes coming in to this same unity, and that is what God's purpose is for the last days. And so we go on and we read here, Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. See? And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. And I'm sure praying for that in my life because... Right now, the work of my hands, it's like the enemy's robbed everything from me. Even though I've been putting the kingdom of God first. But the time is coming, a breakthrough in my life. And many of you need breakthrough in your lives. And so we go on and we read here. 
And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out. Now this is the other chapter I receive. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out, thence through a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath. Now isn't that interesting? That one of the reasons God commanded Israel to keep the Sabbath was related to them coming out of bondage, coming out of all the hard work and enslavement that they were in for 400 years. 400 years of, ta well, wasn't it, you know, mostly for, almost 400 years of taskmasters and so on. Can you imagine that? And here they come out where they have total liberty. They're not going to have anyone whipping them and demanding that they do this and do that. They're going to have freedom. They came out of an oppressive world system. And the Sabbath represents coming out of bondage, out of our own works, out of our own strivings. Now, God, of course, when he created the world, didn't create it in such a way that he was in some bondage like that. Definitely not when, I, when you consider what is described in Hebrews, that God rested seven days, and therefore it describes he is also calling us like he rested, which, in other words, he enjoyed what he created on the seventh day. And so God is wanting us to appreciate what he's brought us out of and what he is wanting to create in our lives. And for that, we let go of our own strivings, and the word Sabbath means cessation, and we cease because only then can we enjoy God, enjoy fellowship with him, loving him. This song we sung was a song of great enjoyment at the beginning of this message, a beautiful worship song. So God is wanting us to never forget how great his love is toward us that he would bring us through a Red Sea baptism, as it were, of crossing over. The word Hebrew, the children of Israel are called Hebrews. The word Hebrew means crossing over. They crossed over the Red Sea, actually through the Red Sea. They went through a baptism, so to speak, to come into a new identity in a love relationship with God. And this word here that says, therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath in the light of what you came out of is also referring to entering the promised land, which is described, of course, in Hebrews 4, that there's a rest that remains for us. Speaking of even a greater rest than the rest they entered, that they had when they entered the promised land. But they had to go through a battle to enter the promised land of destroying the enemy, of not sparing the enemy. But even then they failed and they were deceived to make a covenant with a certain tribe that pretended that they had come on a long journey. And God warned them that they shouldn't do that and yet they compromised. So they didn't fully fulfill that. But God wants us to be those that go all the way 
and enter and fully receive that inheritance. And so we want to go on reading here. Deuteronomy 5, 24 to 29. Oh, wow, quite a bit. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. So here there is this consuming fire on the top of this mount, which is in Arabia, which they have found, and it's all blackened on the top. You can go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com under the archaeological section in the article and watch and those videos show all of that. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? They are becoming aware as the Ten Commandments are sounding out as a piercing trumpet going right like a sword into the depth of their soul. They are aware of the corruption in them. They are aware in the view of, in the presence of God's holiness that's actually piercing right through them with these sound waves of their utter weakness apart from the mercy of God. And so they're coming to a place where they're willing to admit their weakness. And so they're admitting their weakness here. Go thou near, and hear all that the Lord our God shall say, and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God, or Yahweh our Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it, and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words, when ye spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all they have spoken. So the Lord is pleased that they were admitting their weakness. They have well said. In the view of God's holiness, in the presence of God's holiness, coming with a heart that's open and receptive to who God is in his holiness, in his purity, being in awe of God, half of our brain, according to scientists and those that study the brain, is, they say is created for awe. It is created for this awe of God, to be in awe of who he is. He is so beyond us, so great. Not this teaching that I heard from someone that said Adam was in every sense equal with God and was God manifest in the flesh and was not subordinate to God. That was the exact words. That's a very false teaching. That's a dangerous teaching. That's an anti-God teaching. Man is not in any way that way. He is the created and not the creator and not Yahweh. But us that are believers have Yahweh dwelling in us. But we're far from anything. I mean, the fear of God is the, that's a basic element in the genuine fear of God. If you don't have that and you have such a false 
understanding, that's Antichrist. Sorry, it is. It's a very dangerous, wrong teaching. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when ye spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people. Okay, they have well said. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children. So if they had entered in to a heart that totally feared God, they would have come into a relationship with him where they would have been able to keep all his commandments out of their own free choice. But they didn't choose to fully enter into this place where their heart was, where there was such a heart in them that would fear him, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments. So it's both. There's not just a choice to fear God, but I'm sure the choice to fear God results in a lot greater facilitation to keep the commandments of God always, that it might be well with them and with their children. Now, Peter the apostle made it clear when he saw the people speaking in tongues that God had come upon the Gentiles and baptized them with the Holy Spirit and concluded that therefore God is no respecter of persons and all that fear God are accepted of him because anyone that genuinely fears God will come to the place of genuine rebirth. And I want to point out here that the gospel is an everlasting gospel. And I'm certainly preaching that. I'm sure there are many others that are preaching this, but I want to make it clear. The gospel is the everlasting gospel that is described in Revelations 14, where it says, I saw another angel. This is referring to the hour we're living in right now, so maybe it's better that I actually go right to the chapter on that wasn't planning to do this. Oh, that's the wrong one. I want to go to Revelations 14 and maybe read that just because even though I memorized the whole book of Revelation at one time, uh, you know, I haven't kept it up. So, you know, I, I'm not very good at quoting everything just perfect. So I'd rather just come here and find it. Yes, approximately where it is. Now this one has two. So it's this one here. That one's down. Oops. Okay. Here we are. So we read this in Revelations 14. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. This angel, which is represented in many people giving the message to fear God right now, is saying this to the body of Christ. It is time to return to the genuine fear of God and to turn 
your church into a place of worship as never before. And of course, I gave a message earlier this week on something far greater than revival where God is calling for a new order in the body of Christ. But I'm here wanting to emphasize the word everlasting gospel. And the reason I'm wanting to emphasize that is because here in this passage here, it's talking about, oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me. And I want to point out that this was true from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve and on, that this gospel was there. In fact, this gospel was before the world created. So what is this everlasting gospel? Well, it certainly involves the receiving of who God is, a turning in the heart that is in alignment with the conscious that innately knows that for there to be good, evil, and corruption must be judged, and that that points to the ultimate good, and so that God is the one who is acknowledged as being totally pure in a love that is totally integrous to judge what is contrary to love and thus contrary to good. Now, that gospel was from the beginning. It was it is even before man was created, the angels had the genuine fear of God in the sense that they acknowledged that they would be less than nothing apart from God and that they were created to find their ultimate pleasure in giving ultimate pleasure to God. And therefore it says in Revelations 4 that all things were created for his pleasure because therein there is the also the fear of God, the perception that God is ultimately good and therefore ultimately trustworthy and that our, we are nothing and actually less than nothing in the sense that he could put us into an existence of everlasting torment which would be worse than nothingness. And so to acknowledge that, that God's judgments are just, that if he did not judge those that rebelled against him, there wouldn't be good. There wouldn't be love, which is the ultimate experience that is ever enlarging in pleasures beyond your comprehension in these other dimensions that are far superior to the physical third dimension, which is a very inferior dimension, as I point out in my book, Afterlife Incredible, Irrefutable. And so... What I'm pointing out here is that from the beginning, there was the everlasting gospel. From the beginning, people experienced being born again. And I can't go in to explain that, but Christ expected Nicodemus to know what genuine rebirth was before he died on the cross and rose again. And people like Enoch, way back in the beginning of history, had such a close walk with God, they were translated because they had the genuine fear of God. And when you have the genuine fear of God, you see in God the Father, God the Son, because the Son is just the expression of the Father. As it says in Hebrews 1, 3, the Son is the full expression of the Father. In fact, the word Son means basically expression. And so when people perceive and accept God in the integrity of his love as good, Unlike Cain, who began to perceive 
the holiness of God and so on, like he was a dictator that demanded appeasement. But when they see God aright and accept his holiness, they are brought to a place where they acknowledge they cannot stand before this consuming fire of holiness like the children of God. Israel felt when they were before that flame and felt the piercing sword of the light of God going right through their soul as he spoke like a trumpet. The Ten Commandments. They acknowledge their weakness. That's why it says in Hebrews that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. What? In the time of need. In the time when you acknowledge you're totally weak. You don't hide your weakness. You bring it before God. God is pleased with that. And you ask him for mercy, for cleansing, for forgiveness and enablement to do his will. And likewise, it was from the very beginning. They would acknowledge their need of God. And they acknowledged that only God could forgive them. They knew the animal sacrifice wasn't the source of forgiveness, but it was certainly a sign and a symbol of repentance and of the, uh, acknowledging the requirement of judgment. As it says in Micah, even if I gave of the fruit of my body, it wouldn't be sufficient to atone for the sins of my soul. Micah 6. And God is wanting us to return to the everlasting gospel that was before the world was created. That God had in his being, before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain. It was in the being of God before the world was created that he could be of such a capacity of love to humble himself more than you, mere creature, and suffer more than you, mere creature. And I answered the questions and why the devil couldn't be forgiven and so on in the previous message. I don't want to go into explaining all of that right now because time is going on. But this is the message God is calling. He's calling his people to a place of complete, total awe of whose presence we're in, of coming to a place where there's no reservation in giving our lives to him because we really can't trust that he will give us the strength to go through it once we really are fully persuaded to receive who he is in his holiness, first of all. Then only can you fully receive who he is in his mercy and thus in his grace. And so you receive grace because you are humble. Who is God giving grace to but those that are humble before him? Emphasizes always grace in relation to humility. And humility is that place where we acknowledge our weakness, where we're totally transparent before God's holiness to acknowledge our weakness and not hide it and to turn to him with all our, self, our heart knowing that he will give us the grace in our weakness to overcome. And of course, faith works by moral persuasion in the love of God in these two aspects of his love. First, the holiness of his love, and then the mercy of his love, which is that sharp two-edged sword that pierced through the children of Israel as they saw the consuming fire of God's love on that mount. And may we be always open to his piercing sword of light to search our hearts like King David before him and have a heart that is always willing to repent and humble ourselves not only before God, but before one another, 
to share our faults with one another, to wash one another's feet. And I could go on. I, I better forbear for time. May God bless you. Thank you for this message, listening to it, and support me in prayer. And I'm going to be facing a real crisis and, um, on Tuesday where I have to go before the bank to see if I can get a what's called a consumer proposal kind of loan because I don't have equity in order to pay my debt. So I'm praying things will work out. If they don't, I will immediately have to probably go bankrupt because I've held off and the collection agencies only given me a, this, this week to get things right before they come after me. So that's another story I can't go into, but I'm just praying that uh, you'd hold me up for, in prayer. I'm going to um, just do some things maybe to see what God does before all of this unfolds. Okay, God bless you all. Thank you.